Have you ever blown it and felt like you just had no hope? You maybe felt a little bit like Peter after disowning Jesus, but you know that Peter was called by name and just like he calls Peter, he calls you. Well, Pastor Chris reminds us that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can be forgiven of what you've done. And because of what he did with the empty tomb, he has the power to roll something new into your life. That's the power of Easter. Here's Chris. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It is so good to see you. Hi, everybody up in the balcony. Good to see you guys, too. What a cool and amazing day it is. We are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and I want to welcome you for everyone who is showing up to the vineyard for the first time because you're looking for a place to go for Easter or you're back and it's Easter. I, I want to invite you back next week and the week after that and the week after that. I'm just going to get that out of the way at the front end. You know, if, if uh, ever we lived in a time uh, that we needed to be rooted to something that was true and solid and has stood the test of time. It's in the days that we live in now. It seems like our world is all topsy-turvy and upside down. And, and um, you know, every week we gather here, and uh, right now we're going through the book of Genesis, which is our origin story. Uh, we're in the story of, of Joseph at the moment. And if you want to learn how to navigate difficult times and come out victorious in the end, the story of Joseph is the place to look. And so next week, we'll be back into Genesis. This week, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus. But next week, we'll be back into Genesis. And, uh, and we unpack it in a way that, one, is entertaining. Two, you learn something. But more importantly, three, it applies to your life and how you live this week. And, uh, and so I, if ever we lived in a time where you needed to be tied to truth and something solid, these are the days, and I want to invite you to come back and root your life in God's Word. It's a, it's a lot of fun. We have fun every single week, and not just that, but I want to invite you to purpose. Every one of us needs purpose to live for, and as a church, um, I'm going to brag on the vineyard just a little bit. Uh, you know, we are about serving our community and helping people find and follow God. That's what we do, and we just kicked off this two-year thing where we're renovating the building across the street, top to bottom, inside out, so that we can minister to kids uh, on the weekends, and we're going to have a, a child care academy in there all week long ministering to one of the biggest felt needs in our community. Uh, we are launching a women's recovery house with Hope Center Ministries. Uh, we just... Let's hear it for Hope Center Ministries. Yeah. In December, we launched a men's recovery house with Hope Center Ministries, which will eventually have about 34 men living there for a year-long recovery journey. And we are now, we just raised the money to open up a women's center, and we're going to do that as well. So uh, it, God's doing something pretty amazing here at the Vineyard, and there's a place for every single one of us to be a part of his mission and his purpose in our world. And I want to invite you back, even if you've never been here before, come back and be a part of all of that. So that's that. But today, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, because that's what Easter is really all about. You know, I, I think the first Easter had to feel very different from this one. There weren't thousands of people there. There were no eggs or bunnies or all the cultural things that we've added to make it fun for the kids. Uh, and I think that Jesus probably had to be a little disappointed for the first Easter celebration. He had told his disciples on three different occasions, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, 
They're going to hand me over to the authorities. They're going to persecute me and accuse me of things I haven't done. They're going to beat me and torture me, and then they're going to kill me. But don't worry, on the third day, I'll come back from the dead. And he told them that not once, not twice, but three times. So on Sunday morning, what I have, the picture I have in my head is the, the angels show up and scare the Roman soldiers off who were guarding the tomb. Um, and they roll the stone out of the way. And as they're rolling the stone out of the way, just like we saw in the video, the li- I don't know if there was light or not, but I've seen too many of these videos. So there's light coming out of the, out of the tomb as they roll the stone back. And Jesus steps out for this celebration that, you know, I mean, he had to be thinking there'd be at least a couple hundred people, maybe a couple thousand. He had a lot of followers. They were just singing Hosanna just a few days before. And he steps out and it's crickets. There's nobody there. Nobody showed up for the first Easter service. He had to have been a little disappointed. He told them, but they didn't believe him. Well, eventually, later in the morning, some of his followers, some of the women who followed him, were on their way out to the tomb to prepare his body for burial. They had purchased some spices and whatnot. On Friday, because the crucifixion, because the crucifixion happened into the afternoon, they didn't have time to prepare his body for burial. And after sundown, as soon as the sun goes down on Friday, for, for them, it's the Sabbath, and they're not allowed to do anything that resembles work and certainly not prepare a body for burial. And so they hastily put him in a tomb, rolled the stone in front of it with plans to come back on Sunday and prepare his body. And that's where we're going to pick up. In Mark chapter 16, I encourage you, if you have a Bible or a device to follow along, we will be in Mark chapter 16, at least for a little while. And this is what it says. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Very early on the first day of the week, that would be today, Sunday morning, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They have a practical problem they're dealing with. The stone weighs well over a ton. They don't have the strength to move it. Uh, They're probably either thinking the Roman soldiers won't move it for us, or they didn't know that the Roman soldiers had been placed there to guard the tomb. And they weren't there when they got there because the angels scared them away either way. But they have this problem that they have to face. And who's going to solve it for them? It's bigger than they are. Has anybody ever faced a problem that's bigger than you? Yeah, yeah we all have. And here's the problem. Because in their head, Jesus is dead. A dead Jesus can't roll away a stone. A dead Jesus can't solve the problems in our lives that are bigger than we are. And now they're trying to figure out, how are we going to do this? How are we going to even solve this problem? And that's the problem with a dead Jesus. I mean, you can do a lot with a dead Jesus. Don't get me wrong. You can worship a dead Jesus. You can sing to a dead Jesus. You can read about a dead Jesus. You can pray to a dead Jesus. You can even love a dead Jesus. But a dead Jesus is not going to roll the stones out of your way in your life. A dead Jesus does not have the power to overcome what you face. And certainly, you can't have a relationship with a dead Jesus. And you don't get life from a dead Jesus. You see, Jesus' crucifixion, Good Friday, we celebrated that a couple days ago, 
His crucifixion gave us the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus gives us forgiveness. And that's important and it's powerful, but it's not the whole story. It can forgive your sins. What he did can forgive your sins. But it can't solve your problems. And you can't know him if he's dead. These ladies on their way to the tomb, they have yet to experience the risen Jesus. And he, he is going to change everything. See, a risen Jesus opens doors. A risen Jesus moves the stones out of our way. There's a power there, which brings me to point number one. If you're following along, you've got a program. I don't know if there are notes in there or not, but I encourage you to write these down. First point is this. The resurrection brings the living Jesus, with emphasis on living, brings the living Jesus into our lives. We can have a relationship with Jesus because he lives. You know, we talk about why, why did Jesus come, and oftentimes we'll say, well, Jesus came to show us what God was really like, and that's true. And he came to die in our place, a sacrificial death, because the payment, the penalty for the things that we've done wrong was death. And rather than God requiring us to pay something, pay a, a penalty that we couldn't survive, he came and paid it himself and stood in in our place. And so Jesus came to be crucified. But the question really is why? What is, what's the thing behind the thing there? What is the, why did he, why would he do either of those things? And the answer to that question is because God wants a relationship with you. This is about relationship. You can't have a relationship with a dead Jesus. And the resurrection brings the living Jesus into our lives. And with a living Jesus, we have a relationship, a personal relationship. We have his intervention in our lives because he's alive and his help. Well, as the passage continues, it says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Pro tip for you. If you ever see an angel, the appropriate response is to be alarmed. Just saying. Every time we read about angels, people are like, oh! And, then, and you'll know it's an angel if they say this. Don't be alarmed. That's what they... He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? And these ladies, some of them anyway, were there when he was placed in the tomb on Friday afternoon. See, this is where he was. He's not here anymore. And then in verse 7, it says this, but go tell the disciples and Peter. Again, if you have your Bible out or you're following along and you're on your device, highlight or circle and Peter. I want to come back to that. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. My favorite words in this entire story, maybe in the entire Bible, are and Peter. And Peter. Why would the angel say, go tell the disciples and Peter? And I think a lot of people over the years have said, well, it's because Peter's more, more important than the rest of the disciples, right? Peter ends up being kind of in charge of the movement once Jesus, Jesus goes. And, and so, you know, we want to give Peter the proper respect and, and emphasis that he deserves. That is not why Peter is mentioned by name here. 
The reason Peter is mentioned by name here is because on Thursday night, three chapters before, he was having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus was telling them for the third time, I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and the authorities, and I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to come back to life on the third day. And Peter's like, no way, not going to happen. I'm going to protect you. Peter was kind of, you know, Peter was so just all in on whatever he was doing. And so, so Peter was like, no, I'll, I'll go to jail in your place or I'll, you know, I'll take out the, the people who are trying to take you out. Or if I have to die, I'll die. But we're not letting that happen, Jesus. And Jesus kind of shakes his head and looks at Peter and says, oh, Peter, look, buddy, by morning, you're going to deny me three times. By the time the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, nah. <laughs> That's not written in there. I just added that. But <laughs> if you know Peter's personality, he said, nah. So, but sure enough, Jesus is arrested. And Peter does okay at first, sort of. He's kind of hanging out in the shadows, he's following along behind at a distance. He finds himself in the courtyard of the chief priest where Jesus is being tried early in the morning. He's kind of hiding in the shadows, trying not to be recognized, but trying to be somewhere near Jesus. But it's dangerous, right? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? They're criminals now. And so somebody recognizes him, a servant girl recognizes him and says, hey, I, I recognize you. You were with, with Jesus. And he's like, nah. <laughs> he said that a lot. And... Um, and he denies Jesus, and, then, and he gets more emphatic the next time. And the third time, he's calling down curses from heaven. And the rooster crows. And, of course, the penny drops, and Peter realizes what has just happened and what he has just done. And Jesus' deepest time of need. He's betrayed him. He's called down curses. He has, he has done an unforgivable thing. So the reason the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter, was not because Peter was something special. It's because Peter would have made up an excuse to not come. You know, when Peter hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, Peter knows two things for sure. One, Jesus is who he said he was, and he did exactly what he said he would do. But the second thing he knows is that he's disqualified, that he has blown it beyond the point of forgiveness, he's blown his chance. Which brings me to point number two in this message, which is this. Easter is for every one of us who has blown it. I'll go ahead and ask, have you ever blown it? Yeah, we all have, right? Easter's for every one of us who has said or says, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've done. You don't know what I've said, who I've hurt, how I've spit on God. I've blown past my first, my second, my third, my tenth, my hundredth chance. I'm disqualified. And for those of us who have said that or are saying that, Jesus is just like, just like he said to Peter, he's saying to you, he's saying your name. Go tell Bob. Go tell Chris, go tell Susie, Sarah, 
Go tell you. Go tell everybody else, but make sure you tell, fill in your, your name. Make sure you tell them. See, the cross, the, resur- or the, the crucifixion of Jesus is profound and powerful and has the power to forgive everything you have ever done. But the resurrection of Jesus, as we are about to see, has the power to roll something brand new into your life. There's so much more than just the death of Jesus. And you know, you don't deserve that. You know that. You know that in your heart. None of us do. And yet, He did it anyway. And yet, He calls you by name anyway. You're the one He asks for. Well, Jesus over the next couple of days, shows up a couple times, briefly, brief interactions with the disciples. They head back up to Galilee. They're down in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. They head back north to Galilee where they're from. And and, um, Peter and some of the disciples who were fishermen go back to fishing. They're out on the Sea of Galilee in a boat fishing. Now, three years before, Peter had spent the night fishing on the Sea of Galilee and didn't catch a thing. And he he comes into shore to clean his nets, and where he comes ashore, Jesus just happens to be standing on the shore teaching to a crowd. And they're pushing in on him, and it's crowded, and he's right up against the water. And he looks back to to Peter as he's coming in and says, hey, can can I teach from your boat? Peter's like, all right, I don't care, whatever. So he gets in. And that's not in the Bible either, the I don't care, whatever. Um, But he gets in the boat, and he pushes out a little bit, and he teaches. And as he finishes his lesson and dismisses the crowd, he turns to Peter, and he's like, hey, bro, where are the fish? You're a fisherman. You've been out fishing. Where are the fish? You're not a very good fisherman. He didn't say say that, but where are the fish? And Peter's like, I don't know. It was a bad night of fishing. Jesus is like, I tell you what, push out just a little ways. And I want you to throw your nets over over the right side of the boat. And Peter's like, all right, religious dude. There aren't any fish. We've been at this all night. But since you say so, I'll give it a try. So he pushes out, throws the net over the, the side of the boat. And the net miraculously fills with fish so full that it almost sinks the boat. Like there's never been a catch like this. And Peter knows immediately he's dealing with the miraculous. He's dealing with someone who is from another world. And he falls to his knees before Jesus and says, go away from me, I am a sinful man. He is in the presence of holiness. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. I've got plans for you. And he befriends Peter, and he brings Peter along and eventually invites Peter to follow him. And so Peter's on this three-year journey with Jesus that leads us up to his death and his resurrection. Well, Peter is out on, on the sea. Now it's after the resurrection of Jesus. He's seen Jesus a couple times briefly. No personal conversations or anything. And Peter and some of the other disciples are fishing. And they've been out all night, and there are no fish. And in the, the early, early morning, they come close to shore, but far enough away that they, you know, I'm sure there's some morning mist on the water, and far enough away, and, and it's in kind of that twilight hour. And, 
They don't recognize him, but it's Jesus. And he yells out to them on the, on the water, Hey, you guys catch anything? That's what you say to fishermen, by the way, if you see any. And um, <laughs> they're like, Nope, not a thing. Oh, throw your nets over the right side of the boat. At this point, Peter's got to be thinking, this feels kind of familiar. But they do. And the nets fill up with fish. John turns to Peter and goes, it's him. And Peter dives into the water. He's not waiting for the boats. This time, instead of saying, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. He's gotten to know Jesus a little bit. He knows who Jesus is. And he dives into the water and he swims to Jesus to get to him first. And we see this in John chapter 21. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the, some of the fish you've caught. I think this is awesome. See, Jesus could have said, waited for them to come ashore and given them some kind of theological discourse or something like that, but he didn't. He's like, hey, bring some of the fish you caught. I got some fish here. We're going to have a fish bake on the, on the shores. We're going to have a fish breakfast and just sit around the fire and have some conversation. Because Jesus is all about relationship. He doesn't just want to make sure that the right theological information is exchanged. He wants these guys to know that he loves them, that he wants to hang out with them, that he wants to spend time with them, break bread with them. He, he, is, he loves them and he's for them. It says in verse 11, So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish. Now we know, if you've ever hung out with fishermen, you know that fishermen always say they were large fish. They were at least this big, right? So we know he's a fisherman. I think it's like... So accurate. And then he says, it was full of large fish, 153. Isn't it nuts that 2,000 years later, we know there were 153 fish? I mean, the level of detail that they record, it's amazing. Again, they're fishermen. You always know the number. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. That brings me to point number three, which is this. The heart of Jesus is for a relationship with you. The heart of Jesus is for a relationship with you. You. Jesus wants to have breakfast with you. He wants to sit and talk with you. He wants, he, he, he died not just so that we could be forgiven, but so that we could know him personally in this life. That's at the very heart of who he is. It's why he allowed himself to be crucified in your place. What happens next is, is interesting. He has a conversation with Peter. I don't know if it was around the fire with the rest of the disciples there. I kind of think he probably leaned over to Peter and said, hey, let's go for a walk. You know, walk. you ever do those early morning walks along the beach when you're on vacation? He's walking along the beach. Best conversations. And he's like, Peter, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Like Peter was probably wondering when this was coming. 
Verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is an interesting question on a couple counts, but really it's fascinating because he says, do you love me more than everybody else? Don't miss what he's doing here. He is speaking Simon's language. Simon is everything. He's all in. I'll die for you. I'll do this. I'll do that. He's going, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do it more than everybody else. And he knows exactly who Peter is and, and how Peter is. And so he's speaking to the very heart of who this man is, his friend who he knows well. And just on the, um, and he does the same thing with us. He knows you. We all have different temperaments and personalities. And he speaks to you because he knows you and he loves you. Now, in case there's any confusion about Simon, Peter, or Simon, Peter, Simon's name, Peter's name is really Simon. That was his given name. Jesus nicknamed him Peter, which translates basically to Rocky. So he gave him a nickname and that's what he called him. That's why we call him Peter today. Um, and you'll hear him referred to as Simon or Peter or Simon Peter. Make sense? Okay, just wanted to clarify that in case somebody was wondering. Um, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus referred to himself as the, the good shepherd. And basically what he's saying to Peter is, look, Peter, it's not just forgiven. You could be forgiven and allowed to hang out on the margins. No, 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 no. You're not hanging on the margins. You are forgiven and you are restored. There is still a place. There is still a purpose. There is still a plan for you, Peter. It goes on. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was hurt this time. I don't think Peter understood in the moment. You ever been in one of those situations when you're in the moment and you, you miss what's really going on and then you reflect back on it and you're like, oh, yeah, well, that's what's going on here. Peter doesn't realize what Jesus is doing and so he's just hurt because, Jesus, why are you asking me three times? I told you I love you. You not believe me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter had to have been wondering when this conversation was coming. When are we going to address the elephant in the room? Right? Jesus knew everything. He knew what Peter had done. And Peter knew that Jesus knew what he had done. But Peter, Jesus needed Peter to know and hear the words from his mouth. I know, I know, I know what you've done. He had to be wondering, does the cross and the death of Jesus and the forgiveness that that purchased, does that really cover me and what I've done? Because this is, this is too far. I've gone too far. Jesus is saying, oh yeah, it does. I asked for you by name. Now, in retrospect, as he says, do you love me once? Feed my sheep. Do you love me twice? Feed my sheep. You love me three times, 
feed my sheep. What Jesus is doing is He's making absolutely clear that Peter denied Him once. He denied Him twice. He denied Him a third time. Jesus knows about each and every time. And it is forgiven and you are restored. It is forgiven and you are restored. It is forgiven and you are restored. Jesus is saying, look, Peter, I still have a plan for you, a purpose in my kingdom. Feed my sheep. And if we didn't have this conversation, this hard conversation, you would be wondering for the rest of your life when this is going to come back and bite you in the rear end. When the rest of the disciples are going to find out and you're going to be disqualified. And so we're going to get it all out on the table now. We're going to deal with it now. I want you to know once, twice, three times, it is over. And I'm not just forgiving you. I'm restoring you. Which brings me to point number four. Healing is found in revealing. I think there's something in our human nature that just wants to sweep things under the rug and move on. Just forget about it. Like that happened, but that's in the past. I don't want to deal with it. But you know what happens when you sweep stuff under the rug? You get lumps under your rug. They don't go away. It has to come out. There is healing in the revealing. And when Jesus does what He does in our lives and invites us to bring out the things that we've done, confess them to Him, and, and have a similar interaction with Him where we are forgiven and restored and, and given a place and a purpose and a plan. It's powerful. It's the, it's the only way to really get past our past. It's the only way to not allow our past to define our present and our future. And that's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. He still has a plan for Peter. No more shame, no more guilt. No more lumps under the rug. You know, guilt, we're, we're all guilty. We've all turned away from God at one point or another. We've all metaphorically spit in His face. Said, we're going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. We've all hurt other people. We've all hurt Him. And over time, that guilt turns into shame. You know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is I've done wrong. Over time, what it becomes is shame, which is I am wrong. Guilt says I've done bad things. Shame says I'm a bad person. And if guilt is allowed to hang on too long, it inevitably becomes shame. And Jesus is like, let's just get all of that out on the table. Let's call it what it is. Forgive it, wash it away, and let's start again. Jesus has a plan and a purpose for you in His kingdom, in His family. He has a place for you as a child of the living God. And He has a purpose for you in this life. And no matter what you've done or where you've been 
or how disqualified you feel, you are not. He says your name. He says your name. It is forgiven. And the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, bought your forgiveness. But the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, brings you new life. The story of Peter's colossal failure, the story of him denying Jesus, shows up in the book of Mark. This is really interesting. It shows up in the book of Mark. The book of Mark was written by Mark. Interestingly, they're so creative with their names. And Mark was an, a disciple of Peter and wrote down Peter's account. And I find it fascinating that Peter made sure that his failure was fully exposed. He didn't hide it, didn't deny it, didn't try and, and pretend that it, it didn't happen. He made sure that it was written about so that 2,000 years later, when you're sitting in a chair in the Capitol Theater in Wheeling, West Virginia, so that you would know that you're not disqualified, that he has a plan, a place, and a purpose for you. I think that's cool because a lot of leaders that I know would try and cover that up and just pretend that it didn't happen. And that's the power of Easter, guys. The power of Easter... The power of Easter is what happened on Good Friday and the forgiveness of whatever it is you've done. The power of Easter is the power of the living Jesus to roll up into your life and navigate life with Him at the wheel, solving the problems of life with His power, His wisdom, His presence. And the power of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that sets us free. There is so much more because Jesus is alive than just the fact that he died to forgive our sins. The Apostle Paul captures this in Romans chapter 5. He says this, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the cross. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. While we were in rebellion against him, he died in our place. That's Good Friday. But then in verse 9 it says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, by his death, how much more, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him or through his life? Verse 10, it says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more? How much more have we been reconciled? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? The power of the resurrection of Jesus 
He is no longer dead. He has risen just like he says. And yes, Jesus died to forgive sins, and it's so important. Without that, we don't have relationship with God because our sin blocks relationship with God. But the problem is, is that so many of us have stopped there and we sing to and we pray to and we worship and we love a dead Jesus. He's not dead, folks. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He is alive. He rose to give us life. He rose to give us relationship. He rose so the Spirit, His Spirit, could live inside each and every one of us. His death on the cross got us out of hell and into heaven. His resurrection got Him out of heaven and into us. That's the relationship that He wants with you. And He says your name, and He invites every single one of us to that relationship. His death on the cross purchased my forgiveness of sins and yours. His life gives us power over sin. His death makes possible the relationship with God because it washes away our sin. But His life gives us that relationship with a living Jesus So let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced the how much more? Or are you still worshiping a dead Jesus? Forgiveness, yes, but so much more. In fact, how much more? He has for us as we walk in a relationship with Him. God in you, the power to navigate this life with Him at the wheel, with His power at work inside of us, and with a conversational relationship with God. And that, my friends, is what Jesus called life in all of its fullness and freedom for our souls. And if you have never experienced that, I want to invite you to today. And I, want to, I just want to lead us in a prayer, inviting the how much more of his life and his resurrection into our hearts today. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Some of us have we've prayed the Jesus prayer, right? We have asked God to forgive our sins. But we're not walking in the, the how much more. We're not living in, in a relationship with him. And there are others of us that have never even experienced or asked him to forgive our sins. And it really doesn't matter where you are this morning. I just want you to pray along something like this if, if you believe and if you want to have that relationship. He says your name. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died so that I could be forgiven. I believe you rose so I could have life. I just confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, I've blown it. I don't deserve it. But I'm tired of carrying it around. And if it's true that you you died and rose again so that I don't have to, I want that. Would you wash away my sin? But not just wash away my sin. Would you, the living Jesus, come and live in my heart 
Would you give me power over sin? Lord, I want to have, I want to have breakfast on the beach with you. Help me to know you and discover that you're enough. Fill me, I pray. And teach me how to follow you. Not as a religion, but in a relationship. In your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.